When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If anyone subscribes to OnlyFans, so if anyone consumes it, you want to talk on the podcast publicly, we will. You want to talk privately, nothing recorded, that'd be great too. Yeah. Um, so just a little call to action if anybody uses OnlyFans to Hit please. Welcome to episode 62, everybody. We got some hot ones for you today. First off, we had a very generous patron donated the entire episode today with a fantastic question which is about the financial obligations of success. Meaning, in this, his life, he uh, was earning seven figures a year for a period of time and is donating to charity, but wants to know further, how should he think about giving? What kind of obligations does he have? And how does he do it in the right way? Because we've all encountered somebody that was asking for money for a particular organization. And perhaps it turns out six months later, you read that that organization was embezzling money. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to be a good steward. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. Do you want to start? You can go ahead. I mean, most of my thoughts come from effective altruism. This is where I was. This is, this is uh, ground zero. So effective altruism, fantastic book. I think it's William McCaskill. And he talks about the fact that when we think about purchasing, for instance, a computer for ourselves, we don't go into an Apple store and be like, how much money is your CEO getting paid? Because I want to make sure that the margin on this is, you know, he doesn't get paid too much. And has there been an independent audit? We don't care about any of that. We care about the quality of the product, Mm -hmm. if it does what we want it to do. Yet, when people give to charities, all of a sudden, weird things like CEO pay, how much is going towards general admin become important and not the quality of the product. Mm-hmm. He gives a fantastic example just to illustrate this of you could have, uh, I believe it is a charity that donates uh, donuts to cops in need. And 100% of the proceeds, because it's all a volunteer organization, go to getting the cops who need them donuts versus another one that digs wells for people who need them in Africa. And that mm-hmm. one has 10 or 20% overhead. If you care about overhead, <laughs> you're giving cops donuts and they don't need it. So you have to think about what is the product that is being delivered. Mm -hmm. The second thing that he talks about is a really good way to think about it is in terms of quality averaged life years. Now this isn't the only metric that you can start to think of when you're donating or giving to something else, but we talk about malaria nets. If you have a malaria net and it's a $6 net and it prevents on average, you know, a kid who is six years old from getting malaria and dying, that saves him 70-ish years, quality assured years, versus if you're doing operations on people for heart failure that are 40 or 50, and that might save them another 30 years. Yeah, and it's going to be a lot more expensive and it's a per lot more expensive person. per person. Now, this isn't to say that anyone has to stop doing any of these particular things. Donate mm-hmm. to the charity that moves you, but this is a way to think about it. Uh, 
Additionally, there are things like programs that help people with disabilities, whether that's blindness or deafness. And what he does, which I don't think is totally fair, is, okay, if we regain sight, it's not that you got a full quality year back, but the average quality of your life has improved. So you find some multiplier to put on to the years left of your life where you are now a sighted person. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you have a colorblind kid and you want to spend $600 mm-hmm. on a pair of glasses so that your kid can see color, he's not going to tell you not to do that. But mm-hmm. he's just saying when you're when you are someone who has some money, let's say you have $1,000 you want to give to charity, he would argue that it's more effective to buy 10,000 malaria nets mm-hmm. than to buy two pairs of glasses for colorblind children in America, mm-hmm. just in terms of having the most positive impact per dollar given. And it's totally reasonable, I want to make this clear, for you to go, you know what, I want to keep this local because that matters to me. So, sure. I'm, so I'm going to take this entire analysis and I'm just going to look at my local community. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going, to, or I'm going to take this and look at whatever within my church. or I, It doesn't matter. The fact that you're giving is, is fantastic. But the way that we've tried to do it is we look at the world as a whole um, we tend to limit it to humankind because quite frankly, there might be better ways to save a lot of animals, but we've, we've limited to homo sapiens. And what you find is when you take those metrics that there's a handful of things, malaria nets being one of them, anti-diarrheals, anti-worming medications that cost 10 cents that save so many lives in Africa. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. Now, the complicating factor of this is okay, what then happens? What goes on with these people's lives if they're not well-educated, they don't have the other structures that would help them to thrive, which is a very tangled, complicated question, but Mm -hmm. that's where we've landed. The other interesting thought is the obligation to give. So I've talked a lot. What do you think about the moral obligation to give once you've achieved some level of comfortability? Sure. I think I've talked about this before, so I'll keep it brief, but the most persuasive argument that I've heard in general for thinking about how you want to set up the world, whether it's a government or charity or whatever, is the veil of ignorance, which mm-hmm. is to say, if I didn't know who I was and I could be in an instant become a child in Africa, a billionaire in China, a middle class person in the US, what, how would I want each of these people behaving and I can set the rules before I find out who I am? And personally, I would go, well, if I knew that someone was living in California making YouTube videos and had the money to give, and I have a chance of becoming a kid who does not have access to clean water. I'm six years old and I have a mouth tumor because I just can't find anything to drink. I would want the YouTuber to give, honestly, probably way more than I even do currently. Yeah. And I'm not perfect at it. But that's where I get my impetus to give, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. to the extent that I give, it is because of the veil of ignorance. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if people consider the fact that it's, and I guess it's the difference. I think success has a lot of luck. It's where you're born, even to the extent that you can work hard in a business is success or failures to some extent out of your control. Were you born, as Sam Harris talks, the fact that you weren't born with a club foot or a, or a, your IQ. an IQ of 50 yeah. is, is incredibly important. So I go, okay, well, my success is certainly, I don't think, 100% due to my gumption. Yeah, yeah. So I've had whatever success I've had, and there are these people who are born into these other situations. That, to me, makes me feel like I have an obligation to give. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is... Uh, I often ask myself, like, what stops me? And what stops me is broadly two things. Comparison. I see people that have so much more and think, wow, that would be nice if I could save up for that really nice house, that really nice XYZ. Uh, And fear. And Mm -hmm. I've actually felt it a lot in 2020. I gave significantly more as of this time last year in 2019 than I have in 2020. And it's not reflective of my income. It's reflective of the the level of safety that I feel with everything that's happening in the world and I wonder if there'll be more riots and I'll quick need to move or I'll, I'll need to like, if the value of the dollar is gonna plummet. Uh, 
so things that I try to do, which I which do actually make me more comfortable, and then I make notes. Okay, donate tomorrow. Is <laughs> <laughs> before I go to bed at night is take deep breaths and try to recognize the anxiety that I feel in myself, which is in 2020 higher than it's been. And mm. I go, oh, you know, maybe I need to watch a little bit. I, we had him on the podcast. It was great. But Brett Weinstein makes me nervous. Mm. <laughs> you know, Yeah, and the I'm Dark not- Horse podcast <laughs> is a good way to feel anxiety. <laughs> and I'm not saying that he's not right about a great many things, but I am saying that the anxiety that I feel at some point is not productive. And it not only influences my own health and life, but it stops me from being more giving. So those, all of these things, how to give, what are the mental blocks, what would I prefer someone do, mm-hmm. uh, those all sort of come together to form the amount. And then lastly, what I try to do is to not compare myself to other people. Because if you look at other people, a good amount to give is sub 10%. Uh, and if you look at churches, the exact amount to give is 10%. That's mm. a tithing. And to me, and I'm not trying to be critical of anyone, even more of myself, there are so many people that have so much that make that amount a pittance and, and really a sad state of affairs when I reflect on the, the level of need that is out there mm-hmm. and the level of affluence that exists so close to it. So I try not to compare myself and go, well, what did my friends give? Oh, that means I'm okay. I try to compare myself to... What did I do last year? Can I do a bit more? And I think year? you do the veil of ignorance to some extent. You say, what would I like everyone to give mm-hmm. if they made what I made, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there is a bit of this like rule forming for society and then acting the way that you want other people to act, right? Being yes. the change that you wish you would see. With huge degrees of failure yeah, yeah, to yeah, achieve of course. this uh, at, at every stage. I mean, I, my life is extravagant in so many ways, especially when compared to the the level of need that exists elsewhere in the world. But those are the general thoughts. And again... Thank you so much to our generous donors, donors who made this possible. Uh, we right now are at four. We are at One four episodes a month, one a week, as long as that stays. And it might fluctuate because we do have some big donors that, that might dip. We will continue to do this. Doesn't mean that we can't still use the help from Patreon. So if you guys want to make sure that we can keep this up, please donate to Patreon. Every dollar, and I'm not kidding, is going to go to Justin up until $4,000 when he is full-time on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's working five or seven days a week, 12 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, I think so. To, yeah, to the extent that we can get to 4000 Justin will spend his time getting guests, yes. making more meme thumbnails, working on the podcast to, to make it better. So... That's our new goal is to get Justin full-time on the podcast. So thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Didn't think we'd get here. It's really cool. And I, and I, we could pause here. I think this podcast has a future. I didn't think that five months ago. Yeah, I actually want to say the reason you think that, thank you to all the people that comment. Yeah. Because the reason you think that is when people write in, they say, this is my favorite podcast. This Mm -hmm. is the highlight of my week. Us seeing that has made us want to put more work into producing these for you. Mm -hmm. So Thanks to all those people who wrote that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a up until now, relative to our main channel, a smaller group, but in ways much more enthusiastic. Which I've gone, okay, maybe we just haven't cracked the code to scale at this point, but it seems like what we're doing, at least with this niche, is working. So thanks, guys. Next topic, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I saw this and I saw this on the majority port with Sam Cedar. Because uh, I try to like, if I watch something from Ben Shapiro, I then will like type in Majority Report and watch something on the other side just to go, oh, wow, both sides are convinced that the other one is completely insane, crazy, yeah. and unfair. But there's these common questions that come up in, in each of their Q&As. And it's, how do I convince my Democrat slash Republican friend that this thing that my side believes? And then Ben Shapiro or Sam Cedar or somebody answers that question. 
And it strikes me as such a weird question to ask, which is like, if you don't know how to convince someone to believe this thing, why do you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, why would you be asking for tools to, to, to build a building that you don't even know ought to exist? Yeah. It's so strange. Uh, and I saw it on both sides. It was, it was crazy. No, no, I have nothing to say. I mean, it's, yeah, that's, that is the tragedy of our time is the fact that people hold beliefs and they are not sure how to persuade other people because those beliefs were not <laughs> built on solid logic. Yeah. And it's, yeah, if, if you can't do this yourself with the most minimal of pushback from someone, maybe the, in that moment, the question is, do they have a great point here? You know, and, and to switch sides. It's a cool to switch sides, to yeah. hop back and forth, to go, oh, wow, I thought this thing. And then in my conversation with you, I flip back. But then I talk to someone slightly. And that way you go ping ponging your way up to the actual answer as opposed to trying to get Ben Shapiro to explain it for you. No, it's it's the... The tragedy of our time is that people hold these beliefs so strongly without being able to tell you why they're correct. Yeah. So I saw it, I saw it on both sides. It was funny. There's very common things. The other thing that I saw is they often react and respond to one another. And you really do see the ecosystem. And I don't know that they're consciously aware of this. Maybe they might recognize it, that they live off of one another. Mm. They make they make uh, clips about one another and so Ben Shapiro says a tweet to this guy and then he shuts him down and then you know the, the day that Ben Shapiro gets his comeuppance he takes it but they so often accuse the other side of doing exactly what they do which is ignore the larger part of the argument and split hairs over semantics yeah so there was one section where Ben Shapiro says uh, Bernie Sanders tweets something and he goes greed is literally your religion and they spent two minutes, I don't know, on the word literally and how literally doesn't mean that. It's like, okay, <laughs> try to be charitable here. Sure, you know sure. what I mean? What, what do you think he's saying? And, but it, it's crazy how, uh, and, and it goes the other way as well, where they, where they make these gotcha points on semantics that they hold the other side to such a high bar of precision in, in speech that they then completely let fall apart themselves like mm -hmm. every normal human does. So... It was just interesting, and it's actually it made it calmed me down to go. Oh wow, everybody is terrified of their neighbor. Everybody is terrified that there's these secret pack of vicious, angry people out there just trying to ruin their life. Yeah, and uh, maybe that's not what's happening. No, I mean <laughs> I, I talked about this last week, so I'll just make it very brief. But I think to the extent that everyone who's listening could stop thinking of themselves as a Democrat or a Republican, it would be to their benefit and society's benefit mm -hmm. to no longer think that you're a conservative, but that you're a person with your name who has a set of beliefs based on your values. And what that will allow you to do is actually think about each issue and be open-minded in a way that you absolutely cannot if you're positive you're a Democrat. Mm -hmm. Because then your identity is tied to agreeing with everything that Joe Biden says or everything that CNN says. And it's just, it's simultaneously, I think, incorrect because i don't think either ideology has gotten it right it's also to your detriment just in terms of your own happiness and your own ability to be a thoughtful person yeah so well i've and we've talked about the mainstreams you know fox goes republican cnn or msnbc goes democrat but i've recently and i think it's totally true everybody has a perspective i think that goes without saying mm -hmm. but because everyone behind every website is a human being we are all subject to confirmation bias to uh, having pet 
problems that we think are the most important in the world, and, and this includes me. And so I realize even when watching smaller things, and I mentioned the Dark Horse podcast, I often go to 538, it is impossible because it's humans that are creating this stuff for uh, a particular perspective not to make its way through mm-hmm. in just about everything. And I came up, I sent you a thing that was, I forget what the title was, but it made me go, oh, wow, 538, which it, it's a website that talks about the statistics of sports and particularly elections and election season. Uh, the, this was what was on their homepage, why Trump's racist appeals might be less effective in 2020 than they were in 2016. Now, I'm not saying that's true or false, but certainly there is a premise in there that Trump had racist appeal in 2016 in a way that is significant enough to write an article on it. Now, that would be a highly contentious claim for, men, for many Americans. Uh, well, it's, yeah, I think the thing is some Trump voters are racist. Mm-hmm. To the extent that you think all Trump voters are racist— you're doing a disservice to them and you've made it impossible for yourself to actually understand why he won. So if your goal is to get Trump out of office, if you say that the reason that everyone voted for him is because they're racist, there's no solution for that. Whereas if you say that 10% of them are racist, some of them are, dis- are they're, they're feeling left out of the political commentary. They think the system is rigged to rich people and they feel like they're rural middle class people. Well, now you can go get them. You can go persuade them that Trump isn't the answer to their problems. Mm-hmm. But when you write them all off as idiots or as racist, you can't do. You can't get them. So now the only way you can win is by trying to get your own people to show up more on voting day. Yeah. Maybe that's and a that, and strategy. That's not what this, but I just want to make clear that's not what this particular. No, no, I know. But I'm saying I hear it in people all the time. Mm-hmm. I hear it in people all the time. Oh my god, can't believe Trump won. There's so many racists. It's like, well, maybe imagine that for a second. They voted for him not because they hate minorities, but because they think Hillary is the greater evil of the two, or they think that her policies will make their lives and the lives of everyone they know worse. Like, if you can hold that as a potential option in your mind, it allows you to win the next election, mm-hmm. empathize with someone that voted a different way than you. Like, it gives you so much power to change the future and your community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and the same thing goes, and after, you know, perhaps Trump equals racist is the thing that gets in the way of understanding from one angle, but uh, Antifa equals bad or protest equals riots or, you know, these the, these are the, the mirror reflection of sure. that coming from the other side. Uh, but with regards to this particular thing, it, it highlighted in the first paragraph how he talked about the caravan coming and how that was racist. And it's like, I don't, I don't mean to split hairs here. I suppose I am. But uh, the caravan, they, they were also all not legal immigrants in addition to to being of different ethnicities and races so the perspective that it's a racist thing to not want this caravan to come into america or to speak about it in a in a way that is negative is is a premise that is snuck and baked into the The coverage the, the entire coverage of it so i go oh my goodness and i think this is true we mentioned brett said there used to be good news i don't know that there's ever been good High quality, you mean. high quality news. And I don't mean that. I, I actually mean that this is there's a fundamental structure, which is you cannot remove the someone's perspective from what they write. Mm-hmm. And so I, that just can't be done. And so perhaps the only thing that you can do is say, this is my perspective. These are my confirmation bias tendencies. This is where I tend to fall short. And the degree to which something 
says that it is fair and balanced like Fox News. Even this idea of balance presumes a particular point, which is the center. You know what I mean? Like it, that doesn't make any sense or that it's that it's primarily about statistical analysis like 538. Uh, I actually think that's almost worse than flagrantly obvious opinion pieces sure. <laughs> that just go, this is who I am. These are the things that I think. Um, and so I, I, I come to the same conclusion as always, which is I need to read less news and, <laughs> and step away. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. On that? No, not really. So hard left turn. I'm doing a video. Ben is taking some time off. <laughs> my my uh, second video out is going to be on OnlyFans. And this is because it arose out of a thing that you and I have tried to do, which is when we don't understand something. And for us, it was why are people voting for Donald Trump? Why is PewDiePie popular? Mm -hmm. Why is Justin Bieber popular? And what we were talking about was how come people are paying for OnlyFans in this age of the internet, when pictures and videos of sex and naked women are everywhere for free. Yeah, yeah. This is a misunderstanding of what OnlyFans is, but the question mm -hmm. was, why are people paying for porn when they can get it for free? Yes. And the answer is, they aren't paying for porn. And a couple of times we said, uh, we, we had the dumb knee-jerk reaction, which is, this, these guys are dumb. You yep. know, like, and, and, and any time that there's a social wave it always takes me a minute to actually go, oh, damn, I did it again. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm writing a large and growing group of people off as dumb, underinformed, et cetera. It always turns out that I have something to learn. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't understand fully the psychology of an OnlyFans person yeah. or subscriber. Yes. And it's, we're working on it. Yes. So the, the video is going to be on the psychology of the OnlyFans subscribers. Yeah. Some call simps. I don't know if we're going to include <laughs> simp in the title. Um, but I've got, I don't know if, if it's worth talking about my initial findings, which are very tenuous at this point, or if we should just wait till the video. It's up to you. Yeah. So uh, it's certainly not just porn, which is to say that I don't mean that there's additionally personal trainers on OnlyFans, which there are. You are paying for a degree of connection mm -hmm. uh, that is, for instance, well, there's two, two, two main categories I see. One, they've nailed the gamification and the tricks that social media use to get you to open stuff. So for instance, once you join someone's OnlyFans, which is a site, for those of you who don't know, where you subscribe for five to X amount of dollars per month to get free content, not content, at that point it comes to you from this person. Often it's a woman, often they are lewd or nude photos. Uh, so you get that, and then there's all these upsells. But the upsells come in the form of oftentimes like a Snapchat, which is to say, hey, I have this sexy video waiting for you. It's $10 to see what it is. I think you'll like it. Mm. And the fact that it's behind this paywall, and you're like, but what could it be? Yeah. If you've ever had that Snapchat that somebody sends you a video, and normally you would wait longer, but you can't because you got to see it, they exploit the hell out of that. Right, and as soon as you click, your credit card is banked. Yes, as soon as you click, it's hit. So they've got, a, they've got fantastic gamification in some of these live chat rooms. They have literal Kino games from Vegas, which is like there's these number boards and you donate a certain amount of money to try to hit a number. And if you get that number, the, the girl on camera, it's usually a girl, will do something. She will take her top off or, or something. But there's this Vegas vibe to so much of it, mm. which is driving a ton of it. And, and I even like I, I'm for research. <laughs> I'm going in and checking it out, and I felt that like, what's it gonna be? Like, you're like yeah. at the roulette table, you're rooting for this guy to get it. Uh, so yeah, that's they're, they're <laughs> combining. So whereas porn is just to look at what's happening, they've combined elements of direct response email marketing mm -hmm. and casino addiction, dopamine dump type mm -hmm. psychology. Porn is one to one. This is uh, variable 
schedule rewarding. Yeah. Which, which is, do you want to talk about the rat study? Go ahead. I mean, yeah, so it's basically, I think it was rats, but basically they did the study, this is true of humans as well, apparently, that if a, if a mouse or a rat pushes a button, a treat comes out. Every time they push the button, a treat comes out. They will push the button until they're full and then I, they'll walk away. I think it was pigeons, actually, the pigeons? Skinner box. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if sometimes when you push the button, food comes out, and sometimes when you push the button, it doesn't, they push the button forever, <laughs> always trying to get the next hit. And when they miss, they keep going far mm. past how much they would want to consume if it were just a mechanism to release food every time. And far past, like, they'll just quit. If it's one, 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 like if, for instance, if you go to a porn hub and you're used to, I click a video, it comes, I click a video, it comes up, I click a video, it comes up, and you go one day and it just doesn't come up, you're like, oh, it's broken, I'm done. Versus if you're playing this game in this live chat and you donate and you don't get it, you're like, well, gotta go again. Yeah. So you'll, you'll give a lot more money. So there's this crazy psychological limbic hacking that's mm -hmm. going on that is, in my opinion, uh, unethical, as unethical as it is in other casinos. In casinos. A great way to think about it is like whatever your odds are in roulette, right? It's like 90 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. If the way you played roulette was you just gave someone a dollar and they <laughs> gave you 90 cents back, you'd never play. But it's because they take it, take it, take it, and then they give you five. Well, and then they take it, take it, take it, take it. You know what's weird is casinos money to money with, with a game in between. But there's actually no money coming back. So you can even make the argument that this is more ethical because it's like, well, what you got was the rush and then a flash, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so they've got that element. But there's also this fake personalization going on, which is these women have thousands if not tens of thousands of, of fans but they will speak old email trick in second person hey i know you're gonna like this i made this just for you and then that video goes out to so many people well, Sometimes and they can auto populate when you sign up you give your name so a text can have your name yes an email can have your name and say hey charlie and if you pay more money they'll say your name do the particular thing that you want but what's interesting and i've, I've i did one interview so far is that things that are important I love uh, how deep you're going. You're interviewed <laughs> an OnlyFans subscriber or an OnlyFans woman who, who makes it, content. Makes content. Uh, I'm gonna should do a couple more, um, but a couple of things she said. Consistency is critical. Like if you don't provide a place for them to go within the live camming or like consistent uh, photos, people drop off immediately. Mm. It's got this. It's this comfortable routine that is built into it. It's a place to be. It's a place to fill your time. Um, and something to do and it's like imagining that website that you just automatically go to imagine if it were just down randomly like you'd kick the habit of going to it f in favor of something that was more reliable mm. so there's this consistency element there's also uh the the tier three subs or what they call or like the highest level depending on how stratospheric the personality is will often have access to this person such that they'll do phone calls text messages directly with them and you're paying for a connection for what is part friend, part girlfriend, part therapist. And it's not always naked, which is the interesting thing. This is, this is completely not offered on Pornhub, which is that human connection. And it got me thinking how oh, my first thought was, oh, that's so sad. You know, the people are, are paying for this human connection. And then I realized, I was like, wait a second. Like, you, I used to get my friends to pick me up at the airport. And now I get an Uber to pick me up at the airport. Mm -hmm. And like I used to get, you know, used to have to be your girlfriend that gave you a massage. And now I get it from Soothe or down the street. Mm -hmm. And it, it just made me realize like, wow, we've been, I've been outsourcing human connection 
for years and years and mm -hmm. years, I've been transacting things that traditionally had to be done by someone that cared about you. And this actually isn't a great leap forward in any yeah. meaningful way. It's just I'll the also, next step. I'll steel man the, the people that are doing it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, other human connection isn't costless either. Yeah. So this is dollar for human connection. But the other human connection comes at some cost as yep. well, you know? 100%. So I, I, I continue. Do you want to elaborate? No, no, I'm just saying I, I really don't want to elaborate, actually. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I don't let you, wanna... I'll let you elaborate Well, because this is exactly what my next thought was, was like, well, why don't I want to? Well, I don't want my friend to pick me up because then I have to pick him up <laughs> at the mm -hmm. airport, you know? Like, I don't, and, and if my girlfriend gives me an hour massage, well, at some point I have to do something nice for her. Um, and this is, it's almost like this Marxist idea of everything has been boiled down into the dollar cost such that I've purposefully chosen to, and I often will say, like, uh, this is an argument that I got into. Uh, so someone that I'm dating made me food, and I didn't say thank you quickly enough. When she, I was doing work, when she came to bring it to me, and I was doing work, I was like, hey, you know, kept working for probably five, ten minutes, and didn't say thank you. And that precipitated a fight. Mm. And what I said, and I meant it at the time, I was like, honestly, I wish I'd just ordered because I could have just given them a tip and moved on. And this has proven to be more difficult than that. Sure, it was be. more expensive. It was because more it cost expensive. an hour of your time instead of a five dollar delivery fee. Yes, and she didn't like that <laughs> <laughs> at all. Um, but I I see now. Uh, I don't want to say the error of my ways, but how that is a short sighted thing that you I actually think that there's something that cannot be boiled down to commoditizing and I think that there is value and I don't know how I'm going to introduce this back into my life towards ex in exchanges that are not purely uh even transaction which uh, with like regards picking to your friend up at the airport picking your friend up at the airport you think instance. there you now have rediscovered that you think that's a valuable thing to do I am peeking into that thing such that I might consider like my, my parents come here all the time and I'm like, get an Uber. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah. And they're like, oh, come here. I was like, mom, I love you. Get an Uber. Yeah. I'll see you when you get Interesting. here. Interesting. What made you What made you think this? Because for a long time, you have had the the sense of like, when I go to the, when I, Charlie, go to the airport, I will, pay for me. I will Uber. Yes. Ben, when you go to the airport, you Uber. Yes. That's the world I want to live in. Everyone take care of themselves. Yes. Well, so two, what, what has precipitated the switch? Well, for, well, it's two things. One, I did MDMA. Uh, and so I'll, I'll take the second one first. Two, my thought with the OnlyFans stuff, which is, is how sad. You know, like, oh, how sad that they're paying for companionship. How sad that they're paying for someone to text them good morning and good night. And you realize that's the same thing as like, you paying for a ride. That's the same slope. That's the same. Those are those. That is not a far cry at all. It's exactly the same line plus plus time and, and comfort from what I'm doing. So if there's mm -hmm. a problem with that, then there's a problem with what I'm doing. I think that's actually a great point. I, I'm not saying there is a mm -hmm. problem, but I think it is fair to say they're the same thing on a different part of the spectrum mm -hmm. you know what i mean yes and so i think that I, I'm, I'm i'll try to elaborate this idea that is coming to me as i'm saying it the upshot of transactions and the part of the reason i realize that i like paying for massages as opposed to receiving one is because you're dead even and even if and i try to give a big tip you know well I mean? they're also value creative so i'll defend uber now mm -hmm. so if i'm working and you're like hey come get me from the airport yeah, that's yeah. an hour of my time and it saved you 20 bucks. Yeah. Certainly if I said, hey, Char, I'm going to take an hour off of work and give you 20 bucks. You say, no, mm -hmm. do, do you, you create more value for me and Charisma on Command in the podcast mm -hmm. in the hour of work than the 20 bucks. Sure. So it is in some sense more valuable 
for us to each Uber while the other one is at home doing something productive for the businesses. Exactly. If you're measuring dollars, if that yeah. is your metric, um, which is exactly why I do those things. And another thing is that uh, I, I was talking about massages. The nice thing about a transaction is that you're even. So oftentimes what I feel is if I'm receiving a massage from someone that I care about, once they hit the five minute mark, I, I feel uncomfortable because mm. it's like, you don't want to be doing this anymore. I've shared this feeling. Yeah, like I like, and and I feel that I need to give positive reinforcement. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Oh, right there, you're doing like. There are the rare people that do genuinely enjoy giving massages, mm -hmm. but it's just not. If the, in the Venn diagram of people <laughs> who will give you a massage, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not hundred percent genuinely. I enjoy this. A lot of it is I'm doing this for that positive for feeling for yeah. you to like me more. For you know what I mean? It's, and even that is transactional and like and and so uh, I'm doing this four chips and I and I think that I have probably my, my whole life and I don't know that there's a better way and I did MDMA and it shows you a glimpse of it for a moment but that there is a way that is uh where the and I've, I've experienced this because I'm a very touchy person where I am giving you the massage with literally no expectation of reciprocation mm -hmm. because I truly for myself enjoy it and there are times when people say no I'm doing this for you and really it comes with a hidden cost yeah yeah I have experienced moments where it's like no like I like to do this probably not for an hour though not for an hour not for an hour oh not for an hour and it's not it's not great massage it's like tickling it's yeah, like yeah, easy yeah. for me yes so uh, all this to say um that transactions are wonderful and i don't want to get rid of the money economy and i love that i can go down the road and get a massage for an hour and not and and actually relax yeah <laughs> but what i've realized is that or i'm starting to realize and i'm curious about and might totally change my mind is that there's something that ought to be measured that is unquantifiable that is not a dollar that it that that means doesn't mean every time but uh to receive a massage and just to enjoy it and not feel like i'm on the clock which is often how i feel like i feel like oh, i got it i got to stop this and i realized that the night after i was getting massaged and i was like i constantly feel like i need this to stop like i'm like i'm going into debt mm -hmm. when this is occurring um and i was like oh that's not healthy because that's ideally not what love is about it's yeah. not it's not a ledger that is rough it's just it's not a ledger um well this is the a big takeaway i had from the book about nice guys i forget what it's called covert contracts yes yeah. and so it's the sense that so for instance i i'm dating a girl i say hey will you give me a back rub she says yeah no problem mm -hmm. and then i have a sense that in her mind it's a covert contract mm -hmm. that by doing this, she will expect something in return. And what I was more guilty of was the flip side of doing things and expecting in return some love even. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not that I like I would pay the rent or pick you up from the airport or whatever it was. And in return, I'd get your love. You know what I mean? Not your money back, not a reciprocal yeah, yeah. background, but get something. And what I tried to do for myself was be like, I'm not going to try to expect anything back. I'm going to try to remove my own covert contracts and weirdly enough, it helped me with the flip side too, which is like, if I'm going to rub someone's back and try to just think of this as me doing something kind for them, it has helped me a little bit to when I'm getting a back rub, not think that they'll expect anything else. Because if I'm not going to have a covert contract that helps me, weirdly enough, mentally, it's easier to not have a covert contract where I'm in debt. To expect them not to, to yeah. Does that make sense? Like I expect us both to be honest which is a covert contract <laughs> <laughs> see i'm doing this so you'll do it too yeah i understand what you're saying yeah maybe it is <laughs> but it's uh but well, it's, it's not it's not though because it's just the same. you're not holding them to it it's just what you 
you're, I understand what you're saying. You're not holding them to to doing that, but you're just not expecting them to have a covert. Contract. Yeah, it almost seems like, in with the with the absence of assumptions, you just take people at their word. Mm-hmm. And so anytime you don't, so I'm like, oh my neck hurts, and and someone goes, oh do you want a back rub? And I go, yeah, do you mind? And they go, no, I don't mind. Then I I just go, okay, they don't mind. You know what I mean? You kind of just take people at their word more. Yeah, which and to be fair, and I think that's not a bad way to live. I'm guarantee you're encountering covert contracts all the time that maybe and it's and you're just going oh my goal my goal is just to blow through them it's just to fuck them up and then get in a fight about it later and have a discussion about how how you need to say what you mean yes yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I don't think it's like a perfect plan my but my goal is just to just to run right into that wall (laughs) of being like wait why are you mad we didn't have you know and then have the conversation about what a covert contract is yes you know what I'm saying yeah, and so I would I, I haven't shifted tremendously on this, and it's there's a good chance the next time my parents visit, I'll tell them to get an Uber, mm. <laughs> especially as we get farther away from. So this. if you guys are listening, don't <laughs> get your hopes up. But uh, it was the opening of an idea that I want to reflect on the things that I use money to accomplish mm. because I'm not a far cry away from paying for someone to say good night and and for affection and for i also really don't want to the kind of the underlying tone here is that that is bad so maybe uber is bad but i just want to say like it's also possible there's no problem with that yes that's what i'm saying like maybe this just we should just all stop judging people who want to spend their money the way they want to spend it and if they want to spend their money that they earned on OnlyFans, there shouldn't be a stigma of it maybe that's the answer and so and then really the only question is is how's that working out for you yeah yeah that's the only question we haven't talked about this but can i put out a little call to action do we still have the um thing where people can put in their names and their numbers yeah if anyone subscribes to OnlyFans, we won't have the conversation on the podcast unless you want to if you want to we will but if you're willing to just talk to charlie because he's interviewing people who produce content on OnlyFans. But I think it would help the video if you talk to someone who used it mm-hmm. as a consumer. Yeah. So if anyone consumes it, you want to talk on the podcast publicly, we will. You want to talk privately, nothing recorded, that'd be great too. Yeah. Um, so just a little call to action if anybody uses OnlyFans to hit please hit us up. The link is in the description in the YouTube video. Another, another thing that was said is that um, this particular person said she was sometimes surprised by how handsome when she would get people in private and or uh, otherwise in a relationship these people were. And they have girlfriends or boyfriends. Girlfriends, well, I guess in their case, girlfriends um, or wives. And it's similar to why sometimes people uh, have the experience or, or use prostitutes, the sense that I'm not paying them for sex, I'm paying them to go away, which is kind of the feel. It's like I want a relationship without what we're talking about, the baggage. Mm. You know, it's like I want the upside, the nice things, the coziness comfortability and to be able to step back and walk away as i see fit Hmm. and i'm i'm not sure how healthy or unhealthy that is i really don't know but it does seem like increasingly in society we are trying to get which is understandable the upsides of as many things as we can we want the upsides of relationships of our jobs of this that without the downside and and at first blush, you're like, yeah, that's a great fucking strategy for life is try to capture the good things while letting go of the bad. And I'm wondering if it's possible that we might have mislabeled some of the bad. I don't know. Sure, you don't understand the downstream effects of it. Yes, you don't understand the downstream effects of completely divorcing yourself from the negative aspects of relationships. Mm. Or maybe it's just great to only have pure positivity in these things. So I, I don't know. But I'm in there. I'm learning. Um, I've, uh, I've started to dive in. They declined the credit card, so I can't yet be a consumer <laughs> beyond, uh, like the initial page though. 
Do you want to do a, a hard pivot? Do you have more on OnlyFans? Nah, go for it. Speaking of downstream, downstream effects that we don't understand at all, this is uh, nothing to do with politics, but I thought it was cool. It's science. In Florida, a uh, mosquito control agency has approved the release of 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes. And basically what happens is when they reproduce, the women, the female mosquitoes are infertile. And so the idea is that they'll come in, steal all the mates, because mosquitoes have a very short lifespan. Oh. They'll come in, steal all the mates, get a mosquito pregnant. If she has a guy, whatever, I guess male mosquitoes don't bite. If she has a female, it can't get pregnant. And basically the population will just disintegrate because all these um, genetically modified mosquitoes come in and steal the women from the regular mosquitoes. Interesting. And they have no idea what this is going to do to the Florida ecosystem, by yeah. the way, because mosquitoes might be the food of a lot of other animals are and definitely the so food. yeah it's not like they exist independent of yeah. the food chain and so they're not going to get rid of them but they're they think they're going to i mean i'm making this up cut mosquitoes in half yeah in this area of the florida keys mm. and some people are stoked because i hate mosquitoes so yeah. if i heard this i'd just be like hooray and other people are going this could destroy the florida keys like wow. we have no idea what this will do in not even 10 years one year mm. of having half as many mosquitoes might lead to half as many birds and half as many frogs and therefore half as many things and that and it could just be a disaster and they have no yeah. idea but they're doing it anyway well i think they had to drain when they were digging the panama canal i believe they had to drain a lot of the swamps to get the mosquitoes to go and i don't know what the downstream effects were but what's interesting is that i don't think it's either good or bad to reshape the earth for our humans interests like mm -hmm. I, I i think that you could point to examples where you go you know what at least as far as humans were concerned that was just net positive a hundred years later sure and good move and there's other cases where it's like oh you know the bees are gone and now yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. the entire ecosystem collapses from our perspective uh but this is i guess the difficulty of technology is that you can't just be purely like oh no like that's unnatural don't do it because oh, the advent of, of agriculture yeah the yeah advent of Com farming completely unnatural totally ridiculous yeah. that these things would grow what you're supposed meat. to do is just starve to death in winter yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're supposed to die in childbirth yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you're not supposed to make it out so uh yeah i don't know i don't i don't have a totally positive or negative reaction to that no my biggest takeaway was i was shocked they got it greenlit because the scientists normally the scientists i would assume at least have a hypothesis or they go no this will be fine and from what I read, at least, they just went, yeah, we have no idea. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but we're the, to be clear... That's why they call it an experiment. We're the Mosquito <laughs> yeah. Control Center. Yeah, that yeah. was like the organization that did it. So it's like, we're not supposed... We're not the U.S. Ecolis uh, ecosystem yeah, yeah. police. We're the mosquito... Our job is to control mosquitoes. We figured it out. We have 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes. Wow. Can we release them? And the government <laughs> in Florida went, yeah, go for it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, let's see how that plays out. I'm stoked. <laughs> I, as someone who hates mosquitoes, I'm, I say roll the dice. See what happens. That makes sense. I, uh, so another hard, hard tangent right here. YouTube, future of YouTube. So mm. there's been many videos about the trending page in the past and mm. how they work. And apparently there was this legislation introduced in Australia. I haven't dotted my T's and crossed my eyes. This is just one YouTube video that I watched from Economics Explained mm. that said that there was this uh, submission from the media companies that they get privileged access to the algorithm of YouTube, how it works. Uh, to be clear, they already have privileged access to the homepage. There's a section that you can see if you go to the YouTube homepage that is news. They will have far fewer views, and it's only things like in the U.S., Fox News, CNBC, MSN, but it's not going to include Phil DeFranco, Phil DeFranco or, or any of those people. Um, 
and it has nothing to do with her track record of, of reporting. <laughs> Accuracy. Of, or... uh, yeah, of, of mistakes and blunders made, but of are these mainstream established things. Mm-hmm. And everybody's signing petitions, and I, I held off on signing the petition because I was like, I really don't understand this, and I, and I don't want to sign anything that I don't deeply understand. But my reaction, if this is true, is... How do I get the algorithm? Well, no. <laughs> how do I be MS- yeah, MSNBC? Yeah. So sorry, the big guys are going to have a huge advantage. How do I be a big guy? Yeah, well, it's just there's uh, it's uh, Peaky Blinders that has a line: "Big eats small, man." And it's like, this is what I felt with Hong Kong. It's like Hong Kongers want a huge thing. It's like you're done. It's over. China wants Hong Kong. This goes one way. I don't. I'm, I don't mean to. Uh, smirch or demean anybody who is out there protesting but there is no way you resist china tibet can't do it the u.s can barely do it like big eats small and well you I can go, you can get yourself you can buy time sure. right you could buy a few years and they did they yeah. did in 2014 i believe they won a huge thing with the extradition laws and here we are in 2020 and it's like well hope you enjoyed the last five six years because yeah. we're back to where we were and then further uh, but it's just the same thing, which is like, of course, big eats small. Of course, these entrenched powers are going to come in and just go, you know what? Playing fair is not working out for us. <laughs> you know? So we don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, we're done. And and we we are spe- and I'm sure they truly believe it. I'm sure they believe they look at uh, YouTubers and think that they don't deserve the to be as successful as they are, given that these hallowed news institutions are reporting what's real and what's important. But uh, I just, my impression of where YouTube is headed, it's certainly past the customer acquisition phase, and we talked about this. It mm-hmm. is now entered in pretty solidly into the monetization phase, where it's a profitable organization seeking more profits and uh, expect more of this. And if this particular thing goes down, that's, that's big will eat small. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe big will be Uber or it will be Tesla, but uh, big, big eats small. <laughs> And until the new, until the new completely disruptive technology well, that's, emerges. That's the one thing. I, so we were texting about this and you were saying like they've gone from the growth uh, customer acquisition phase to the profit phase. Mm-hmm. I think at some point when you do that too much, it gives someone else an opportunity they didn't have before, which is to be the customer acquisition person. Yep. So if YouTube kept their focus on customer acquisition and let their profit margin be 10% instead of 20%, no one could be able to stop them because you can't beat the biggest guy yeah. at customer acquisition when that's their goal. But when they go, you know what? It's hard to get twice as many people on YouTube. Also, it's actually impossible. Mm-hmm. We can double our margins, yeah. which means twice as much money. Let's do that. That opens the door for the next person to go, all I'm going to focus on is user experience. Yes. And I will eat your lunch over the long term because I will focus on being good to them. Yes. And then that new company will focus on monetization and another person will mm-hmm. come. So yeah, I do. I do think... It's not the end of the world. It just might be, honestly, weirdly enough, the most profitable year YouTube has might be a signal that their end is coming in 10 years. Well, certainly if it's the most profitable year, right? Like, like as, they, as they peak. Sure, sure, sure. That's fair. I guess not most profitable. Like, <laughs> in, in the last several years. Yeah, if you look back looking, and you go, we had the highest margin year we've ever had. Yeah. Someone at YouTube should probably go, this might be a trouble. Yep. Yeah, and that's why uh, I think it's a natural... I mean, I, I feel it to a degree within our own small organization of Charisma on Command, which is we found a type of video that worked. Uh, and instead of innovating and being super creative, we're like, mm-hmm. all right, let's make more videos on confidence. You know what I mean? Let's do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do a bunch of videos Now we're on doing OnlyFans. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and then that, you, you ride that peak for a while, but it's ultimately innovation that drives it. So mm-hmm. within any organization, which is what we're trying to do, you need that fresh entrepreneurial spirit of like, no, let's let's get back to exciting experimental basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, that's where the OnlyFans video <laughs> <laughs> comes in. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add or new topics? Uh, I mean, nothing that's like super topical. Do you have anything else? I guess there's one thing I had. Yeah. Uh, I just see this a lot. This is politics, but I see a lot of people saying Biden is the candidate they gave us. They being the um, DNC. Yeah. yeah. And I don't really understand what those people thought the primaries were for. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're like those like, oh, Andrew Yang is the best person for us or Elizabeth Warren is the best person for us. But the DNC made us have Biden as our candidate. But they had primaries. People went out and voted. I don't understand unless it was all like super delegates that got Biden the nomination. Didn't the American people just not come out and support Andrew Yang, not come out and support to Elizabeth a Warren? Degree, that's like, true. I, I don't understand people who I feel like there's just this sweet, sweet justice boner that comes with blaming the monolith, blaming the power structure. Mm-hmm. I think Andrew Yang had like 2% of the votes though, right? So I, I guess I'm confused when I see people say that they gave us Biden because it seems like unless they is the Democratic primary voters, it's not true. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is that your feedback is coming, I'm sure, from internet comments, which are going to be younger people that disproportionately support people like Bernie Sanders and Andrew Yang. No, Uh, but even Brett Weinstein, who's like super, I think he's like a genius, right? I think he said something like that. So, uh, yeah, I I, well, and and to steel man that argument, there was a sense of uh, Bernie was up in the polls, Biden was down, and then everyone dropped out and said, vote for Joe Biden. Everyone on the same day before this, sure, sure. before, and, and so but, there was But Bernie this, didn't have to drop out. If mo, if more people wanted Bernie than well, wanted... No, 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 so it went like this, then Biden surged. And so basically everyone... That's because those everyone, people switched to voting for Biden, though. The and, Elizabeth Warren fans... Biden got to draft. Be, like, it, like the, you're, you're riding this bike race. You're winning the bike race. And then all of your competitors go, screw you. They all allow this guy to... T- totally understand what you're saying, but Bernie could have had... Kamala and Elizabeth Warren and all these people drop and those voters could have gone to Bernie. No, but they directed their voters. This is what they're saying when they mean like the, the DNC, like the, the monolith that is, which is beyond any particular individuals. They all got in line and said, vote for Joe mm-hmm. as they were. Now, I don't know what pressure they felt to do that, but there was like all the same day, all at the same time, they all got out of their own best interest. And all of a sudden, Kamala Harris, who was so aggressive towards Joe Biden, was you got to do it. Now, clearly, there were backroom deals being made, and we mm-hmm. now can see what they looked like, which is, how would you like to be vice president? Uh, because But Bernie would have had a vice president. Sure, and and maybe he didn't do the wheeling and dealing as well. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know what was going on. So that's that's to steal man. But I also understand exactly what you're saying, which is... Donald Trump won. Yes. Like, ultimately... They, they, no, no one could stop mm-hmm. him from uh, just crushing Bush, which is who the RNC wanted, yep. and then probably either Rubio or Cruz, who the RNC would have much preferred. Totally. And it, he just went, no, because I will get the populace yes. behind me. It seems like in America, meddling is very possible, but outright rigging can't yet be done. And I think Donald Trump is a good example of the fact that the Republicans did not want Donald Trump. Yeah, it just <laughs> seems like the Democratic nomination was up for grabs. And like Biden won because at that time, that's who more people wanted when they were voting for the primaries. Maybe that's voter turnout. Could be any number of things. I think, I think there was the power structure found a way to make it more difficult for Bernie, but not impossible, is, is what you could point to and say that they gave him a steeper climb, that they did everything that they could. But yes, yeah, certainly that Bernie, it could have been Bernie. It's not, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein wins with 95% of the, yeah, 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 you know, that's it's it. not that, it's not that. Um, there, there was another outcome by a candidate that was it seems like you can win the nomination while you're while your national committee 
kicks and screams and cries and and rails against you i think that's what trump showed yes i 100 percent agree with that and to your to your point of people saying that yeah i think it's just just internet commenters that (laughs) that are you know upset and i don't know how representative of the populace they are yes um anything else i mean i have a ton but none of it's pressing well another thing so i we i've uh that came up we've mentioned brett which I thought we had a really good conversation with him uh, a week ago. Um, one of the things that I was reviewing it because I was kind of watching to see where we did well on the podcast. Uh, there was one moment where I mentioned psychopaths and I said, I thought that most people were good. And I said, I guess I haven't encountered many psychopaths. He said, well, wait till you do. And I realized that in my opinion, and again, he may disagree with me. We just have these categories, you know, I guess I haven't interacted fill in the blank with many Democrats or many Republicans or many uh, Mexicans or many, you know, or many uh, terrorists. And we just have these words and labels that we put onto groups of people who are not all bad. And psychopaths is like the final bastion. But the truth is, there's a whole, there's a ton of psychopaths that are nonviolent. They prefer to be called neuroatypical or, or uh, I forget, they've got a different word for how their neurology is different, but they're not evil necessarily mm. like there is there is a subdivision of them that that would commit these sorts of heinous acts and i and as i was reflecting i was like man in every conversation where i've discussed evil and tried to find a group or a category of people that encapsulated it that was separate from me it always falls apart upon tighter scrutiny yeah yeah well this is the question is what do you do for instance there's a argument to be made that some pedophiles are made through trauma but some are just born that way mm. right and so, like, what do you do about that? Because they're going to have the impulse. Do you tell them to control the impulse? Do you give them an outlet for the impulse with, like, robotics? Mm-hmm. Do you just try to do a brain scan and then put everyone to death? Like, I don't think that any of these uh, are really well thought out or necessarily good, but we don't have an answer for them. And then you just you just get people who are saying that they're monsters. And it's like, well, not if they're actually fighting really, 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 really hard against their biology to conform to society and yeah. not cause any harm. And every day is a struggle, but they do it. And then they, on their deathbed, they've never yeah. hurt anyone. They've never caused trauma. They've never touched anyone under 18 yeah. just by having the desire. It's like, that's not a bad person. Yeah. It's just a person born with a different brain. And now, obviously, if they do cause harm, then they are bad. But it's, uh, yeah, you, even that group, which I think is the, the most demonized, has a lot of people that are born that way and then spend their whole life fighting to not act on it yeah and i'm sure that it exists on a spectrum to you know so, so some people have urges that are stronger and some people that have urges that are weaker but pedophile I, I agree with you is the i don't know that you could have a more maligned group uh that that had such a visceral reaction from such a wide array of people like serial ter- killers yes yeah, serial-, serial killers even pedophiles i think strike a nerve that that runs deeper uh but both of the possible explanations that you give is just like well like you said you're born this way or something happens it makes it hard let's let's pretend that there's free will for a moment and you can choose but it's like that's that's such a unfortunate hand mm-hmm. to be dealt uh to have to struggle against that for your entire sexual existence um i think yeah. sometimes they even get chemical castrations just to kill their sex drive they just go i, I don't know how to fight this wow uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a very difficult hand. And, and I guess for me, what I try to do, and I'm sure I'll be not perfect about it, at least on the podcast is to just remember that like whatever group of people is the bad guys out there, whether that's, <laughs> I remember we had a, we were talking about American sniper with one of our, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were, I was like, isn't, isn't, don't you have a, like, he, he had this many confirmed kills. I was like, yeah, but like, those are people, man. He's like, no, dude, those were bad guys. 
<laughs> I was like, bad guys? Yeah. Like, no, like, they were bad guys. Like, they, I was like, every, they were all bad guys? Like, wait a second. And we were in Iraq, which was a separate, like, every one of those people was a terrorist. Seems like they were, like, in their hometown while this guy was on a roof that didn't belong to him. No, they're, yeah, in, they're like, in the military, which is to say, okay, maybe if that's maybe the bad, they weren't. Many were citizens. If that's the bad guy to you, yeah, then any time that a U.S. soldier has ever been killed, you have to say that that's the bad guy to mm-hmm. them, and so now you have to forgive every single person that's ever killed a U.S. soldier, yes. which I'm not saying we should do. I'm saying that's the outcome of that thought process. Yes, it's like, and this if it's the enemy, carte blanche to kill him. Yeah, and so my point was not that I forget his name, something Kyle, I think, um, is a is a bad person, but it was that. What we always come back to is that when you try to separate good and evil into groups of people, it doesn't work. But what it does work, and I, this was a fundamental disagreement on our podcast with Brett, it, it does work in yourself, kind of. And even the separation isn't real to recognize that you have tendencies that go in both directions that exist in every person and all the time. And that where I think the highest leverage point of creating change in the world is first inward, second outward. Mm. Otherwise, you wind up going... Well, they were bad guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 they yeah. were psychopaths, pedophiles, uh, terrorists, etc. And we had to. So, like, that justifies the fact that we did whatever heinous thing we had to do to stop them. Um, but, yeah, that was my soapbox for that. Nice. Anything else? No. I mean, did you see all the NBA games got canceled? The, yes. The Lakers and Clippers are th- talking about boycotting the season? Yes. Are they still? I don't know. I haven't checked today. Last night, it was like in the works yeah. that they were just going to scuttle the playoffs, basically, unless the owners threw their weight around as billionaires and like tried to get legislative change. What do they want to change? I don't know. I think they're upset with the their how, how they think the Jacob Blake thing went down. And they think that it's not just that incident, but that this is the culminating moment of a lifetime of incidents and that they're not going to play basketball unless their ownership... Um, goes out and tries to get legislative change of some kind. I'm unclear on what that change is because I do sometimes see, um, I do see sometimes people talking about like, we have to arrest the people that shot Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. We have to arrest the people that shot Jacob Blake. And depending on what news you believe or what the circumstances were, it's really hard to justify an arrest of these people. Mm-hmm. Like if you... The Breonna Taylor one, my impression is that some people think that they went to the address that was on the warrant. It was a no-knock warrant, so they didn't knock. They opened it, someone shot at them, and they returned fire. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely tragic that somebody gave the warrant the wrong address. You know what I mean? But from the police officer's point of view, if that is the case, they went to an address that they were told, opened the door, and then got fired upon. By the way, the guy that did the firing is totally justified because people are breaking into his house. Yeah. But it's, it could be a circumstance where you actually wouldn't necessarily tell anyone to do any differently in that in instant. That contained instance of the and police maybe, at the door. Maybe you need to be much stricter about where you give no-knock warrants. Mm-hmm. Maybe there should not be a no-knock warrant. It should be called a warrant where you cover all the exits and mm-hmm. you have to send three times as many police, cover all the windows and doors, and then knock. Yeah. And you just accept that that means that the police are going to get fired on a lot more because you're basically giving a warning. I don't yeah. know. But I think there's ways you can legislate solutions around the circumstances. But that within the circumstance, maybe really if you understand everyone's point of view, you realize that he had to shoot at the cops because they broke into his house and the cops had to return fire because they were told a drug dealer lived mm-hmm. there and then someone was shooting at them. Um, and so it's like, well, do you want the you want the billionaire owners to try to get these guys arrested 
that might not even be something they can do given the current legal system and what well, actually I would, happened. I would hate if it was the case that rich people could enter the judicial system and and influence arrests. That would be a dystopian nightmare. Yeah. To the well, and what that, you could do is try to make more more fair, reasonable, humane laws for yeah. future cases. But yeah, you definitely don't want somebody to be able to, because they have a billion dollars, determine who gets arrested. This is an interesting, I mean, uh, what I'm thinking right now is if you need to provide a solution when demanding change or if there is just value to demanding change in and of itself, and I don't know the answer. Of course, everybody gets to do whatever they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad that people can play or not play speak or not speak i'm that i think that's awesome but personally i go because because when i look at some of this well, I, I think see they are they are demanding a solution what which what is, is to arrest the police that shot brianna taylor and arrest the police that shot um blake well what i think if you sat any of the individuals demanding that down arrest for what you know and force them to walk through okay and force them to step through arrest for what do you realize that xyz in this case that you know okay so you want this guy and they had to humanize the cop that was there I think what everybody would probably agree to, and I, most people, I won't say everybody, is that you want an, an investigation that uh, to try to see if there was racially motivated wrongdoings, which seems to be the big thing because this is particularly with black people who are shot. I'm not seeing an uproar about white people being shot by police officers. So you want to determine if this is a racially motivated shooting and or uh, wrongful death that shouldn't have happened. Uh, it seems like there's there's a line in between arrest them and do a thorough, fair investigation that people, I think, would get on board for if you could slow them down and talk to them as individuals and not members of a of a mob. Mm. Um, I, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that their stance is that if you did that, these people would go to jail. Which if, is, you, if you did an unbiased, fair, of course, and I'm, and they're just NBA players, but it's like how have you? How many minutes have you looked into the details of any of these cases? What have you read an article? Heard somebody tell you about an article? And this is, I, I don't. Here's what I know. I don't fucking know. I don't. You give yeah, me yeah. somebody's name who was killed. Tony Timpa, who was a white guy, I, and he and the police weren't pressed. I don't know. Like, I get, watch the video. Does that give me grounds to to be the judge of the police or him? I don't think so. I think what you want is people taking a tremendous amount of time investigating these sorts of things. Uh, yeah, if I had to steel man the NBA player position, I think it's that um, that they are not going to get a fair shake because the victims are police, and that mm -hmm. if they did get a fair shake, the police would go to jail. That's their that is their thing that they already know. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yes, and so that the idea of an investigation, which conclude, yeah, that if, if, if so I put myself into the mind of a say LeBron James, he if, thinks if that they do an investigation and the police are let off. It was not a good investigation. It was necessarily wrong. Yeah, and I think I mean it's it's almost too easy to pick apart from so far, so I, I hesitate to do it. But when you enter an investigation, sure of it, and you're tweeting the day after, positive that you know what happened based on the reporting, it goes what. Is there a chance that you didn't get that totally right? We knew who the Boston bomber was the next day, right? We were all certain it was. <laughs> what happened? That he was already dead. The he guy had already they thought, killed himself. Yeah, the Reddit, guy that they thought was the Boston Reddit, bomber. Reddit got him. Had yeah. already been dead. He'd already committed suicide. Like days prior, right? Or something like that. But the point is, if you're if you're certain that you know what happened the day after, take a deep breath. That's a really good way to to go down the wrong path.
Um, and of course, he's you know he's playing basketball most of the time. I, I don't I don't I, I don't know what to say. Um, I think what I realized when I when I re- read about the NBA and sort of heard about him and, and Henry's listening to it is that we all live in reality that is primarily dictated by uh, frequency of hearing something to be the truth, mm-hmm. and so, which which means that if you grow up in a community and you're told that. Uh, Mormonism is real and good and and believing in Mormonism gets you uh, included in that community, I can bet with a high degree of certainty, especially if you're excommunicated later in life, that you will die a Mormon, you know, with a very high degree of certainty. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's true of every other religion, especially to the degree to which they make inclusion in a group contingent upon believing this thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's going on all over the nation with politics right now, which is people, in order to remain in in the groups, the social groups that they are in, have chosen one of two champions. You have roughly Fox and and CNN, MSNBC, as these completely different worldviews. They they repeat, 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 which causes their idols to repeat, 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 which causes the populace to repeat. And you live in that bubble. And then over here, you have a totally conflicting message being said just as often. And then these two people talk. But they've heard each heard just their side a thousand times. Yes, a thousand times. So they're positive. It's true. They're positive. And and when this other person gets in, what, disagrees with them, they go, you are a monster. What was the thing with China where they realized if you just repeat something enough, you believe it? Tiananmen Square. The fact that, oh, so, I mean, China's a, a master class in this. Because what you find, and I don't, I'm not 100% on this, and I haven't done the studies, but uh, it seems like Hong Kongers, I believe there's 7 million people and like 2 million of them were out on the streets in 2013 or 2014 protesting. That's huge. But if you look at mainlanders, they all think that Hong Kong needs to be brought back in. They're this far apart. What's the difference? Like you you don't have to go many miles to get completely separate things. Well, in one area, they've heard one message over and over and over again, despite having very similar cultural backgrounds and similar genetic makeups. In one area, they've heard a different message and they're completely at odds. But they're mostly completely certain that the message they grew up hearing is the right one. the right one. And so what I go is, okay, well, that has to be happening to me as well. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the messages that I've been getting from everybody? And are there ones that don't even have another side? You know, because these ones, at least you've got two screaming sides that you could potentially listen to. Uh, I don't know the answer, but I wonder what things in my life are just so normal that I don't even think about Mm. how, how... obvious it is to me that something is the case i'm not sure yeah every, i mean obviously this will be the case everything i can think of has a has an alternate counter right yes. like democracy is the best form of government well there's mm. people that disagree and think it's a republic or it's communism yeah, yeah. or it's a dictatorship capitalism is the best form of commerce where there's people who think it's socialism yeah everything i can think of i mean one of them which for many people is that reality is real that this is real and elon musk comes in and there's been other ones with with this completely alternate theory which yeah, is yeah. it's less real than you thought it was it's fascinating that some beliefs are so loosely held because mm. i had believed that this was reality and then i heard elon musk talk for eight minutes about why it's a simulation and i went if i had to bet gun to my head i'd bet this is a simulation like i was just such a loosely held belief oh i grew up jewish i had a bar mitzvah yeah, yeah, yeah. i believed in god why well, i'll talk, tell you why we talked once when i was 18 mm-hmm. and you convinced me that i basically should be agnostic about my beliefs because they're not well founded mm-hmm. in like an hour and a half mm-hmm. you know it wasn't five minutes but like an hour and a half to undo 18 years including being bar mitzvah and going to jewish uh overnight camp and all this stuff like there's some lifelong beliefs that get flipped and then there's others that 
are unshakable. I think it has to do with safety and, and you understand implicitly what risk you put yourself at in changing some of these beliefs. Like so, my parents weren't gonna stop loving me if yep. I thought it was a simulation. And you were certain, you are yeah. certain. And if you switch from being Jewish versus imagine, and I don't mean to pick on anyone in particular, that you lived in a religion that excommunicated non-believers. Sure, sure, I think sure. I could have had the same conversation yeah. with you and gotten nowhere. And so, yeah, a question is like, what do I, and I haven't thought about this, what do I have to believe in order to continue to fit in with my friends and loved ones? Like what things have to be true or where do you have, so like for instance, if you're pro second amendment yeah. and you've grown up in a certain community, you might think that losing the second amendment is the beginning of tyrannical rule. It's the end of your freedom. It's the yeah. end of your autonomy, right? So even if it's not your community, like there's great fear attached to yes, the idea yes. that they'll take your guns away because it's not just the end of hunting. It's the end of not being part of a tyrant's government, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, maybe it does. Maybe it is like what beliefs do you have to hold that you that tie to your safety basically that tie to your yeah. life's well-being well, i think people generally are not oriented towards truth they're oriented towards towards survival and reproduction yeah, yeah. such that the entire you know the, our beliefs are are not they don't stand above survival they stand beneath it yeah. <laughs> you know like does this help me to survive that's the only question uh and and i think that's and we pretend that we live in a world where truth is of paramount and you get two people to come together and they they don't care they it's two people who want to survive yeah. Which is, and if it's if it's a zero sum game, and you know we feel like it's me or you, truth be damned, you know no, neither party cares in that case. Mm, interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean I've I've watched it, and uh, the initial criticism of LeBron James, which I you know when Daryl Morey came out and said free Hong Kong, and LeBron said, wow, how dare you know I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he said you had to think of our safety. How can you say that? And has said nothing about Hong Kong since and now is being very vocal. That's the easy criticism to make of him. Uh, but when I step back and I go, he hasn't heard anyone say Hong Kong since. You know what I mean? Like no one around him thinks that's important. So everyone around him thinks this is obviously true and obviously important. He's 100% sure that there are evil systems of racism out there because that is what is, uh, that is, what is frequent in his existence and he mm -hmm. isn't hearing that what's occurring in Hong Kong is terrible and needs to be stopped. And so he is using his platform in order to stop the bad thing that yeah, yeah, is more, so obviously the bad. The more important thing in his Yes, existence. in his sphere of existence. And I go, you know what? That's so fucking human. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. that's so what I would do. And it, and to a degree, uh, I'm not gonna lie, when I, when I heard that, I went, you hypocrite. But then I go, so am I. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I can't really get on a high horse when, when he is advocating for... No, no, I mean, especially his whole legacy, is, I mean, Again, it's all if you believe in Buddhism and Taoism, it's ultimately incredibly unimportant. But he wants to be the greatest of all time. Yeah. He needs another ring. He does not have as much as uh, Jordan. He's the favorite to win it this season. And he's saying, let's cancel the playoffs. And he's old for a basketball player. Mm -hmm. So, like, if nothing else, you have to give him the credit that he clearly believes this very strongly because he's making a financial yeah, yeah, and yeah. legacy sacrifice for no, it. No, I think um, I, I think is it's not a it's not an easy call for him. He's giving up, I think, probably millions to tens of millions and the chance to be the greatest of all time i think nearly everybody's heart is in the right place and and without, i guess that's what i'm saying you can yeah. disagree you can literally disagree with what he thinks about each case or about boycotting or about you can disagree with any number of things but like it seems like he's willing to make a sacrifice for it so i assume that he believes strongly that it's the right thing to do yeah 
Um, so one more thing that I had, we might have, we've talked about something similar to this. Uh, people in my life, I, I'll try to anonymize them, uh, planned a wedding to occur shortly after, I mean, within a couple months from now, uh, with coronavirus still in the world, it's causing tremendous headache and strife. Who will be invited? Who can't come? People are saying that they can't come because of coronavirus. Oh, they're not going to do a virtual wedding. No, they're, they're, they're able to have people in this state in a particular county of this particular state. Not, Interesting. A, not a huge one, but... And they want to. And they, well, they want to because obviously this person is a woman and this has been the culminating day of her life since she was very young and she's well, been planning it and thinking it and did not want to wait any further and has a date that she needs to be pregnant with a child. And that but not sure. Well, my wedding. sister's wedding is going to be like six people. So it's not sure. Sure, it's all, not everybody. Like... I'll just I mean, my sister's thing is she's just terrified of killing our grandparents. Mm. So she's actually saying that no one can come except for like me and my parents and his parents. Yeah. And and, and people, of course, approach this differently. But to the degree to which I, we've talked about this, you you want a big bash of a wedding. I, I would say almost certainly if at least very highly correlated with sadness, like difficulty, yeah, yeah, bad for your mental struggle. health. And then I don't even know how good the day can be because it cannot overcome all of the anguish that, that you put yourself through in order to make it match this Hollywood version of what the wedding was supposed to be. Yeah. It just can't possibly match what you thought it was going to be and make up for all the hardship that you did to get there, all the money and all the effort and the concern with who's going to sit where and will this person feel left out. Uh, it's just funny that that this whole wedding industrial complex has sold us what what if you if you buy into it fully can be one of the most difficult challenging sequences of events in your life it's so impressive to me the the wedding industry is uh, very impressive that they've managed to turn this thing that's supposed to be a day of love and celebrating love into bridezilla mm. you know not in every wedding but like the fact that there is a bridezilla the fact that there's someone who's willing to spend a huge sum of the money that they have to create financial stress in their future to stress every day about the color of the napkins and the food yeah, yeah. it's like well, wow, it's really fascinating that the industry was able to commercialize such a, what should be like a beautiful, stressless, low maintenance thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the degree to which you're able, I guess, to convince someone that something is important. You know, like yeah. this is it. This is the big one. You got to get it all right. And God, the amount of stress that, that has to put on you is is freaking crazy. So yeah, this this particular person is having a very hard time, uh, and I'm I'm a degree of separation away, but telling telling the intervening party to say can you just tell him like just call it off <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah. like just enjoy the love that you have with your fiance have a small get together get as much money back as you can don't worry about corona like and but of course uh that same advice for everything that i stress about is it's is equally difficult to implement for me sure if you just told me hey man another thing that's really bothering you that you want to get right just let go don't worry about it doesn't yeah. matter uh but yeah man weddings do i know the person no. Just curious. <laughs> Do we have uh, Patreon questions? Yep. We have both questions. Nice. The first one that a lot of people have asked is, Ben looks tired. Is he sleeping enough? Yeah, no, 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 no. We cut that so many times. Yes, no, no, no. It's because of the Brett Weinstein interview. Yeah. Oh. People were joking that Brett was me because it was Charlie on one camera and then you switched to Brett who's older than me with gray hairs and bags under his no, eyes. No, Shit, that flew no, 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 no. Someone else also said uh, that you look to me, that you look tired in that video. And I oh, really? You, yeah, you look tired. Oh, you, you genuinely look tired. I thought it was a joke about Brett. No, no. Oh, it might have been in half the cases and then it might have been compounded. But I, upon reflection, I was like, oh, dude, he does look tired. Really? Did you not sleep? I don't know. 
So that was a week ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah people just want to know. Just put it to rest. I don't think you do, but I can't see you on camera. I don't know. It's falling apart, everyone. He's <laughs> 33 now. <laughs> I thought they were saying, I thought the joke was that Brett was me. I thought it was a really funny joke. I could have been, but I also, uh, I, I, I reviewed, I was like, oh, wow, he does look, your eyes looked more like sunken than normal. I don't know. I'm getting old, dude. Yeah. I'm just no, 33, I, guys. You just looked like you hadn't slept in any event. Hair's right, going gray. <laughs> is from uh, Kayer, and he says, how can I help someone having a bad day? What are some good ways to comfort them, help them vent anger, or brainstorm actual solutions? And how do I recognize when to take each different approach? So when someone is having a bad day. Basically, yeah. How do you identify? How, and how, how do you know what, what the best approach then, is? Mm, that's a good one. Do you have any initial thoughts? So walk me through this. How, I am with a friend. They're having a bad day. How do I know? They're, they told me or they just seem you grumpy? Just say they seem grumpy. And so, uh, for instance, I have, you know, I've talked to different times that our, our friend... Benji would like at one point threw fruit at me you know he was throwing blueberries mm. at my head because I was having a bad day and then I was pretty you know if I talk to my mom she'll go oh Char I'm sorry and she'll she'll be empathetic and, and understanding and, and commiserate yeah. with me how do you know which of those approaches is uh best it's a good question yeah oh man I'm, I'm of so many minds on mm -hmm. this one because I, I feel like at some point you have to do the state break. Yeah. I feel like you, it is uh, to just constantly be the shoulder to cry on actually becomes almost destructive, I feel like. Because then you will be the go-to shoulder to cry on, which you don't want. And you're actually not helping your friend, which is not the best thing for them. So I think at some point, maybe you can give them some time to be the shoulder. At some point, they need a blueberry to the head, though. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does it come first or does it come after? Like, do you start with a blueberry to the head or do you start with the shoulder? I don't know. I haven't yeah. really thought about it a lot. It's a great question. Yeah, I don't have an algorithm <laughs> that, that I they can easily be applied. But general thoughts would be uh, severity of the incident, which is, of course, subjective. But if somebody's mom died, no blueberries to the head. Yeah. You know, like shoulder to cry on for an extended period of time. Uh, somebody didn't do good on a test that they had previously expressed was like not that important. Like, okay, blueberry to the head. Like, hey man, this, remember, this is dumb. Like, we're past this. Uh, but then also I think there's a degree of... Just so people understand, the blueberry to the head is meant to make the person laugh. Yes. So to the extent it's not getting a laugh, you yeah. need a different tactic. Yes. So for instance, Don't I went keep through, a, throwing the blueberry. I went through a breakup and anytime I complained about it, you would play the Taylor Swift song, never, ever, ever getting back together. Mm -hmm. And it would make me laugh because it was just such an absurd way to respond to a friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if it had pissed me off, the solution would not be to Continue. go back yeah. to that the next time I'm sad. Sure. Like it was, the, it was my laughter that cued you in that that was a good way to handle it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's not, the idea is not to antagonize the person. It's mm -hmm. to interrupt their state so that then they can handle the situation or talk about the situation without an unnecessary weight of whatever state they happen to be in. Yeah. And so like when someone's, you know, mom passes away, it's, you want them to be sad. If they're not sad, almost there's like a warning sign that some repression is coming, mm -hmm. unless they had a weird relationship or something. So like to the extent that they're in that state, you don't need to break it because that's where they need to be in that moment to cope. So I hope that's helpful context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and I, I think there's uh, additionally, at some point it is no longer your responsibility to cheer them up. And sometimes I, I'm sure you've experienced this probably on both sides, which is where somebody feels that it's their responsibility to cheer you up and it's and you're like, just let me fucking sulk and I'll come out of it. Like step away, let me be sad or sulky and Well, and often people come to you though. Okay, if they come so, to you. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I can think of a time where like a friend 
would come to me to sulk. And it's like, I'll let, mm. I'll let you soak in your apartment, but like, I don't want to be sulked at again. And, and to, to that point, it's, there's a time where, and I think you're reading them to Ben's point to like, okay, how's this going? How's this going? And also yourself, you're not, you're not on the hook forever to go, okay, I need, hey man, uh, it doesn't sound like this is being very helpful to you. And honestly, it's draining me. So I need a break. For, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need a break from, from this. But if you want to go out and shoot hoops later, let me know. You know, I'm up for that. Uh, I think this is generally a difficult question, which is like, how do, how do you interact with people's varying emotions? And because uh, we all would like to feel happier more of the time, but then we bring each other down. But then we are compassionate, and now we're happy together. So it's it's not a perfect algorithm. But I think keep aware of how you feel, such that you're not being drugged into the depths. Uh, Try some state breaks, like Ben said, and be aware of their reaction to what you're doing so that you're not trying the same thing over and over and over and getting crappy results is the best. All right, this next one's from Philip, and he originally asked this in order to give Ben like a suggestion for a charisma video, mm. um, but it's extremely topical, so I chose it. Cool. Uh, he says, charisma behind a mask. I'm a medical student trying to connect with patients and coworkers. Much more difficult when you can't show the smile on your face. Do you have any tips? You can show the smile on your face. You show the smile with your eyes. It's hard. I, I, I feel it because you're covered up to here like, oh, happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but I think I do think actually you can see it in the forehead wrinkles sure. and the smile in the eyes and in the tone of the voice. I, I actually genuinely think that with your mouth covered, if you are genuinely, now what it might be harder to do is fake it might be harder to like just throw on a quick one to like show support. But if you have a genuine smile, it will go to your face. It'll go to your forehead. It'll go to your voice. Mm -hmm. I do think that. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you need to do more to make yourself actually feel happy because it's harder to fake at that point. Because this is the truth. Anyone can cheese. Anyone can cheese. Yeah, yeah. Much harder is to have your face and voice radiate happiness. Yeah. That's tougher to fake. So it seems like if you're going to do that and be positive, you need to find a way to actually feel positive sure or i mean yeah the alternative is if you're i mean i guess so tough because i understand it's your job and you're worried about your bedside manner but like to some extent just in general you don't want to fake it right so you want to get to the point where you can be happy in the interaction for the person's sake maybe because you realize like you're happy at the impact you're having on them or you just don't and you just come in and you're not happy and they don't think they have a happy doctor. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't have great answers for this because unfortunately what COVID has done is it's taken away like the top two or three tools that one would use to... Com a smile, a touch. A smile and a touch. That's the other thing. It's like, oh, I can't smile. It's like, dude, warmth, touches, friendliness, like high fives, all that. Oh, can't do that either. I was like, okay, so I can't touch you. Really? You think a you don't think a doctor can just throw on maybe some, they can. some so antibacterial if, if and they then give can, a little shoulder if touch? If they can, a little shoulder thing, a high five. That that's your uh, your next go to after smiling. But what I've felt, at least out in public, when you can't do that or you probably shouldn't be, is uh, I feel like I have my tools of expression yeah. really taken away. I wouldn't from me. be upset though if a doctor touched me. I would assume that their hands were sterile. I just don't know what the protocol is in the hospital. Yeah, it might not be an option. So yeah, eyes touch if it's available to you, quality of your voice, and I think loudness, which is probably going to force you to do some state building exercises jumping jacks in the bathroom or or whatnot cool yep next one is what are the best ways you've found to not say as many stupid things ah. a lot of times i find myself instinctively saying something unintentionally hurtful and i'm trying so hard to be more careful about what i say but if you have any more tips to stop saying everything that comes to mind i would love your advice that this is like the 
2% of people ask this question because the most common question we get is from the other 98 who are like, I don't say what I think. I can't get it <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is, this is the rare flip side of how do I, how do I filter myself a bit more? It's almost always how do I lower my filter is what we get. Well, they're saying they don't want to be accidentally hurtful, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder if the solution isn't to filter, but to learn how to like rewire your brain to think more positively. Yeah. Because in general, I'm a proponent of being unfiltered. And I think if you're, if the problem is when you are un, your unfiltered self, the words you say hurt the people around you. I would say that filtering yourself while thinking hurtful thoughts is probably not great for your relationships or your own happiness anyway. Because now you're just not saying it, but you are thinking these things. So I wonder if it's not better to try to build new habits in terms of the positivity of your thoughts. I might be reading too much into the question, but it sounds that these aren't necessarily like uh, important expressions of things that would otherwise be resented, but instead a habit of what sounds like potentially joking in a manner that is sarcastic or hurtful. And I might be reading too deeply into this. Is that what it says, Justin? It doesn't say that. It doesn't, doesn't say, say that. anything like that. But he says I make they stupid. Say I, I says I make stupid comments and I say things that are on it that are hurtful. Well, it could also be saying that like, oh, that's stupid. Like yeah. it literally could be like you said, like, let's say we're having the podcast and you're like, I think at the end of the day, LeBron's this. And I'm like, that's stupid. Mm. That's just an unfiltered thought that could be hurtful to you. That's yeah, yeah. not a joke. Right. Yep. But I think the thing is, if I work on my empathy for you, it's not a thought I have. You know what I mean? Or if I work on my ability to have respect for people, even when I disagree with them, then what I might say is like, oh, I don't think that thought. But I wouldn't say like, you're stupid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um so it really, it would depend on what the comment is that's coming to mind, I guess. But I could imagine one where, yeah, the answer is to have more empathy for the other person or to disconnect them from what they're saying. It could also be to just watch some comedies so that you're in a good positive state. And if it's jokes, the, the, it, this is the easiest fix is, is you can start watching. Let me know if you have good examples of this. Uh, positive punchline jokes. So I think Chris Pratt is a good example of mm -hmm. someone who... who uh, he plays the lovable goof and builds other people up through mm -hmm. his comedy versus there's other people. I mean, who's who's got a more British comedy is often more biting and sarcastic. Mm -hmm. um, so if it is a comedy thing, just uh, frame, watch some Chris Pratt. <laughs> sure. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Jake yeah. Peralta is also a good one. I think Chris Hemsworth in interviews, sometimes he'll go, he'll tease people, but he tends to be very positive and mm -hmm. loving to people. He's a good one to learn from. Um, Hugh Jackman almost always brings yeah, people yeah, up yeah, and is yeah, positive. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people you can try to um, learn from. And what Charlie's not saying that we believe in is generally the type of content you consume shapes how you interact with the world. So if you watch a lot of people who are dicks to each other because it's funny, that's the humor you'll have. So I don't know the show off the top of my head, but like you could pick a TV show where you laugh because they're dicks to each other. If you watch that every day for an hour a day, that will become more your type of humor. Hmm. So if you cut that out and replace it with Jake Peralta, Chris Pratt, Hugh Jackman, Chris Hemsworth, then you're going to reprogram yourself to at least skew closer to them. You know, I think part of it's how you were raised, but I do think part of it's what you're consuming day to day. Cool. Any more? Yep. The last one is uh, for you guys. I'm really interested in the emotional mastery course. I want to find more info, but I can only find the page that is linked from your YouTube videos, even if I search on business. Google. I can't find anything about the course. This yeah. lack of information seems somewhat scammy, but I also think you guys are trustworthy. Do you have any more info on the course or a reason why it's impossible to find it anywhere That's except so the direct funny. link in the video description? Where does well, the actually, link they go? Well, actually, they are finding the sales page. Are they, the they're, they're finding the sales page or are they finding the cart? I think the sales page is saying the sure? link from YouTube, yeah. 
Okay, so my so, hope my hope is that the sales page, and maybe I just wrote it poorly, uh, would be the information that one needed. I think what they're saying is if you Google emotional mastery, uh, nothing comes up. To which I would say it's because we don't focus on SEO. We're not good marketers. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Something we could do that we haven't done, we could pay people to be affiliate marketers to write fake reviews. And so that's why when you Google certain courses, the top 10 websites are all about their course. And you click, and it's a review. And then it ends with a link to how to buy the course. Those are pay, people pay for those. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not how we market, you know? Like we've never tried to search engine optimize the sales page. Well, tell me, this would be super helpful, is what do you feel like you need to know? Because I, I thought, I mean, I'm not great at these things, but I thought that I included as much as I could about the genesis of the course, what it is, what it covers, what's in the different modules on the sales page. But please let me know what more you feel like you need to know about the yeah, course. Yeah, or what would you need to see when you Googled it? Yeah, Which yeah. is my impression of what's happening. Is this um, person's just Googling emotional mastery and nothing's coming up. It's nothing's also possible, up Justin, on Reddit. we're not sending anybody. Are we sending them to the cart or to the sales page? I could check right now. Yeah, yeah, that's worth checking because if it's going to the cart, then I totally understand. It's like, oh, this is just a checkout. Um, but the other page is several thousand words of <laughs> my attempt to describe the course. I tried so <laughs> hard. Um, all right, we can, we can pull it up real quick. That is a mistake. <laughs> we were supposed to go to the sales page, which has a lot more information, and uh, I wrote it myself. So you get, you get from my own perspective what the course is about. If there is anything else that you feel like isn't on the sales page that you need to know in order to make an informed purchase, let me know because I want to include that on the sales page. Um, and yeah, we, sh we, we sent people the cart because I didn't tell Justin not to. Justin, is this a Patreon question or a YouTube question? This was a YouTube question so or we'll, a Google form question. We will also put a link to it under this video yeah. and it will go to the sales page. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that's that's a reasonable question. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thank you so much. Was oh, that it, it? Yeah, that's it, right? Last yep, question? for YouTube questions. If you, oh, is there any more for Patreon? We have Patreon. Cool, we'll hop into Patreon questions. If you guys wanna see the Patreon questions, go ahead, join at any level of the Patreon community. We're gonna do that. If you have suggestions, and I'll say this to the Patreon, for things we could do like book club, let us know, but it's the patrons that are keeping this thing going. We've got one a week. Thank you guys so much. Whether or not you've listened or paid or, or watched on YouTube, honestly, any sort of interaction is, is what keeps this thing going. So thank you again. We'll see you later. Now on a Patreon Q&A, boom. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.